Today's Bible reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learnt from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. Good morning everyone, good to be here, good to open up God's Word with you and explore for this week, John 15. Uh, next week, Stephen George is coming from Trinity Church Mowbray, and he is going to unpack Psalm 23, and it's kind of linked together a bit. We're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus uh, in an ever-changing world. And then Scott Westwood, also from Trinity Mowbray, will come the week after, and he's going to look at Psalm 24. Your program has 19 and 24, because he wasn't sure what he was going to do when we printed them, but rest assured, it is 24, Psalm 24. Um, so I'm excited to have them here, and then after that, we'll kick off Term 3 in Galatians and go through that. So let's pray, and then um, unpack this wonderfully well-known passage from John. Father, thank you for your word, that it is good for us, and we are excited to gather as your people today to sit under your word and to hear what Jesus has to say to us. The message is very simple, Lord. We want to be fruitful. We want to stay connected to you. We want to be in you and you to be in us. So may that happen and guide us now as we seek to see what that looks like from John 15. May you be given the glory in our lives today in the church. Amen. So one of the great realities of our time is the sheer volume of choices we have. We have so many things in option. One of the great anxieties of our time is the sheer volume of choices as well. And marketing teams have picked up on this. 
and they try and influence how we make decisions. And one of those ways that marketing teams try to do it is called the decoy effect. And here's what the decoy effect is. Say that I'm going to start my healthy living lifestyle today and I'm going to get a juicer because everyone needs a juicer. And I look at two options and I have an $89 one on the, the, that side and a $159 one on that one. Now, I'm an I'm amateur. I, I'm not really into juicers. What do I pick? $89 one. I don't need all the fancy stuff and the power. I can wait 30 seconds and, and, and it's, I don't need the accessories. So I get the $89 juicer because that makes sense, right? What if there's a third option now? So I look at the prices, look at my options, and for $36 more, I can now get a juicer that's a little bit better with some more accessories, and it's tempting. So I'm thinking I might get the middle one, thirty. but for another $24, I now get this 112-piece fancy blender. So you know what? $24 means I get the better blender now, so I buy the more expensive one. And what's just happened is I've been decoyed with this decoy effect. The middle one was never an option. It was never intent to be, to be bought. It was always to push you up to make the bigger decision for the $140. Because you see, if, if I'm willing to pay $36 more, then $24 more is easy because it's less than 36 and actually I'm saving money. And so now I've told myself, and you all agree with me, that we should buy the more expensive one because that's the better choice. Whereas before, it was not even an option. That is the decoy effect. It happens all the time. And you feel this choice anxiety welling up in you at that moment. So then I went over to Lorna Jane, because I need some active wear. And I saw this top and it said, never give up. And as I dug deeper, I found this. This is from, from their website. I'm not knocking Lorna Jane, by the way. It just is, it illustrates my point. She said this, active living isn't adding more to your plate or external expectations. It's doing less, but being mindful to invest your precious time into what's important to you, your health, your well-being, and happiness. You see, the dominant story in our culture says you can do it. Take this, wear that, have this, get the juicer. You'll find a better you, more empowered, more satisfied. It's right there. Reach out, grab it, grasp it, have it, take it. And the problem is that even with the blender and the shirt you often feel defeated and the utopia that you are promised doesn't quite get there, does it? Now, there's nothing wrong with being positive, having a good mindset, um, resilience, determination. You need that to get out of bed in the morning. Christians should be some of the most happiest, positive, creationally minded people in the world. After all, we serve a God who made creation, who's going to redeem creation, who's coming back to take us into a new creation. So we should care about where we shop, what we eat, uh, where we buy our products from. Jesus guards us from making creation a god or an idol and making ourselves into a god or an idol as well. But with all those choices, we end up leaving relationships because of restless. We, we don't commit to a church. We don't commit to a friendship group. We don't commit to our house. We don't RSVP anymore. Or if we do, it's the last minute. Because why? Because something better might come up. And we... To commit to one thing means I'm saying no to something else, but I don't know what that thing is yet, but I've got to keep my options open. And there's just anxiety of circle of, of despair we live in. Uh, it, it's tricky. I got an email from someone at, at, at college saying, I'm going to have an a in, informal party. And if you're thinking of coming or maybe even thinking of coming or kind of not even sure if you're going to come, let me know just so I know for numbers. And it went on and on about just, if you're not committed, just let me know. Um, so I know and it was it was a picture of just how all these decisions, all the choices breed anxiety because it degrades the good things we have and it pushes us towards this perfection that we can't actually ever reach 
We want to live happily ever after. But the systems that we live in and told we should have to live in are not working. And I felt a bit like that at times. I felt a bit overwhelmed. I'm sure you have too. But the good news is Jesus knows that. Jesus gets it. And Jesus has good news for that type, this way of living. You see, the gospel comes to us, not in marketing speak, that says your best life now, or with some kind of decoy effect that leaves us feeling ripped off. Jesus is the solution to this utopia problem. He offers us a new way of living, a new system of doing life from. And the good news of Jesus comes to us in the most unlikely way, and he says, you can't do it. Good news, everyone, you can't actually do it. And it is the opposite. It's the upside downness, which is, is so strange. And it's the best news, though, you could ever want to hear in a world with worry, hurry, anxiety, busy, change, choice. To know that you can't do it is good news. And, and that's what I want to explore today from John 15. 1 to 17, the good news of you can't and the new system that Jesus gives us to live in and live out. And it's a radical way of living. It's very strange. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this new system, this new way of living, of thinking about life that Jesus has on offer, then come with us and join us as we unpack this. And I hope that you would get you thinking about what life in the vine, that's a strange thing to say. We're not agricultural people here, really. It's an odd thing. See what that means for you. And I pray that you would explore Jesus more um, from today. And so we, we meet Jesus in John 15. Uh, he's, he's just had dinner with his disciples, his friends. It's the day before his crucifixion. And he's having dinner. And as you know, over dinner, there's often good chats, good conversations, food, friends, conversations. have always gone together. And it's the case here. And John 13 and 14 is one of those dinner conversations. Now, John, who was at that meal, who wrote this book of the Bible, he writes this 80 years after Jesus is born, so kind of 50 years after the event happens. And uh, I have this here on the screen. is as a strange piece of writing, but that's actually uh, from 150 AD. It's a copy that a professional scribe made of the Gospel of John, and it's probably the, the copy of the original one that John wrote. One of the earliest manuscripts is called Papyrus 66, for those of you playing at home. And it shows us John chapter 1. I couldn't find John 15. I don't have many pictures of it, but it's 150 pages of about this big postcard size letter uh, that is the Gospel of John, with most of it in there. We're missing a few pieces here and there, but it's the biggest Gospel of John we have. And John wrote that. He's the last of the disciples that's alive at the moment, and he was there. And he's telling us that with Jesus... He gives this new way of living and says, you can't do it without him. And so after the meal, at the end of John 14, 31, Jesus says, let's leave. Let's come on, let's go, guys. And, and he, he, what he's saying is not let's leave the building. He does that in John 18. What he's saying is let's go up from the meal and sit on the couch. You do it when you have people for dinner, had the meal, had the conversation. Let's sit on the couch because we'll, we'll talk some more. And that's what is happening here in John 15 and 16. Jesus talking to his closest friends after dinner, and John recalled this electric conversation. And then in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine, my father, father is the gardener. Now, vine, as Amanda wonderfully helped us see before, is about being fruitful, but it goes back deep into the Old Testament. 
God's people were often described as a vine with God as the gardener. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, this vine was never fruitful. It never had the intended purpose of making fruit. It couldn't do it. Left to its own, God grieved over his vine. Here's what Ezekiel says in chapter 19. Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the water. It was fruitful, full of branches because of abundant water. Its branches were strong and fit for a ruler's scepter. It towered above the thick foliage for its height and branches. But, but here it is. But it was uprooted in fury. It was thrown to the ground. The east wind made it shrivel. It was stripped of its fruit. Its strong branches withered. Its fire consumed them. It's planted in the desert in a dry, thirsty land. God's people should have been this great vine leading people to to, to, the, to God, the source of life and joy. The nation should have been a picture of what life with Yahweh was like. And instead, it was just like a vine in the desert. It didn't have that effect. And so Jesus says to these 11 guys, um, taking this concept of vine, and he says, I am the true vine. What Israel could not be as God's people, Jesus is. And in saying that he's the true vine, he's saying he will not fail. And here's that link. Where you and me can't, Jesus does it better because he walked our shoes and he gives us his victory, his righteousness. And right here is this profoundly new way of thinking and living. There's actually a life of another in, in, in given to us that flows through us. And the first thing about this system Jesus gives, it's actually about a new life source. It's about Jesus the vine. And because God is the gardener who plants and protects and keeps the branches, he's going to prune it. He's going to keep the branches in his vine, as verse 2 says, so that they'll be fruitful. Finally, and he'll also take away branches that don't belong if that's not his intended purpose. So verse 2, he cuts off the branches that bear no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes even more so that it can be more fruitful. Now, pruning was a, was a very delicate thing back in the day, and it still is. You, you don't just hack and slash and cut and hope that stuff happens. I have fruit trees in my yard, and, and I kind of do that. I kind of hack here and cut here and think I should do it, and I hope that next year fruitfulness will be the result. Often I've realized you prune for growth, you prune for fruit. And I find out the next year if I did it right, because I either get big trees with no fruit or lots of fruit with little trees. And so I'm not very good at it. And so pruning is very purposeful. And you do it at the right time, it safeguards the fruit. And fruitfulness is a mark of a healthy vine. Of, it's a mark of Christianity, in fact. And then in verse 3, Jesus continues this and says, you're clean. And, and this is really interesting, because at the moment, who are, how many disciples are listening to Jesus speak? 12 or 11? 11. 11. Judas has left. He's gone. He's out in the night getting them angry mob to betray Jesus and arrest him, crucify him, all that. And Jesus says in verse 3, I'm going to prune you, but you're clean. And what he's saying to the 11 is that you are already clean. You're like trees that have already been trimmed up. And so I've always have a grapevine, and every year I, I clean my grapevine. You cut off the old bits, you, you make sure it's right, and I kind of get the grapevine right, not my other fruit trees, but I clean it up, I cut away the stuff so that next year it's going to be fruitful. And Jesus is saying the same thing. You are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. What he wants to do is not bring fear into the disciples. He wants to encourage them. Guys, don't... 
worry about being cut away. You're clean because of the word I've spoken to. Yes, you'll be pruned for good things through my word, but I've got you. I've got you in this. It's okay. And that's incredible. It's the word that's going to prune us as people, as Christians in in, in the vine. But I realized this week that when Jesus says the word, he's speaking as the word. So in John 1, the title that John gives Jesus is the word of life, the word that brings life to us. And then Jesus says, my word from me, the source of life that I speak to you, is going to have an effect on you. So the word of life and his words is what prunes and cleans us. But it's not a moral lesson Jesus is on about. It's not good advice he wants us to kind of toss around and choose to accept or reject. This is the very words of God designed to produce life. Jesus does not bend us into something. You have a piece of metal and try to shape it um, or watch a plumber work with copper. You can bend it to an extent, but you often have to heat it so that it bends properly. It doesn't snap and break. And the gospel does not bend us. It melts us into a new shape, the very image of God makes us ready and possible to bear fruit. The gospel is at work in us, not calling us just to faith and repentance, but reminding us Jesus works through us to produce a new love, a new joy, a new desire of our heart. And that means because of the divine, because of his word, there is no pressure to perform with Jesus because he's performed already for you to bring you into that relationship, into the vine. And then as all good kind of metaphors and pictures break down as you kind of press it too hard. Verse 4, Jesus stretches a picture. He says, um, the branches must stay in the vine. And, and that's a branch, a physical branch, doesn't really have a choice. It's grown there. It can't jump off. But what's becoming clear is that the branches are dependent on the vine for the fruit. But what is fruit? Because Jesus doesn't explicitly tell us what it is. And depending on who you read, you get two responses. The, the, the first is a, is a character that's like Jesus. So we hear Paul speak of the fruit of the Spirit. We hear Paul in Romans uh, 15 speak about showing mercy to the poor as a type of fruit, as a result of the gospel at work in us. Or it could be conversion fruit. So we're becoming what Israel couldn't be. We're becoming a healthy vine. Uh, gospel fruit. In Romans 1, Paul says, I want to go to Rome and preach the gospel to bear fruit. And so it could be either one. Which one is it? I think the answer is both. And Jesus doesn't actually say which one because he has the bigger picture in mind. And I'll get to that in a moment. But the, what fruitfulness does, it's the way that Jesus and the New Testament writers describe ministry success. The KPIs we're hitting as a Christian are not performance. And that's a key distinction. It's about gardening and it's about fruit. And I think when you start to think about the Christian life in terms of fruitfulness, this is what Jesus is getting at. Because if we don't understand what it means to be fruitful about staying in Jesus, it means the the success of the garden, the success of the ministry, the success of the vine is determined by factors that you cannot control. It's not that you have no role. You're held accountable to the criteria Jesus gives us, the word and through prayer, we notice that, asking in his name. But look at the factors you can't control in a garden and in ministry. Weather, rain, soil, hardness of hearts, number of people in your ministry, how quickly life is changed by the gospel, how responsive people are to the gospel. 
You can't do that. You have no chance to change that in someone. But over all of that, there is a sovereign God who is the gardener directing his vine to produce fruit for his glory, not yours. Jesus says in 7 and 8, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask the words and asking whatever you wish and it will be done. It's to my father's glory. You bear fruit showing yourself to be a disciple. And so the mingling of this word of God of us staying in him, of Jesus being the true vine that will not fail, means that our role is to stay and let the word of God stick around and change us, to speak the wonderful gardener of God to others. But the fruit is his provocative, not yours. Can you see the wonderful freeing way to live that Jesus is getting at? You see, suddenly you're not crushed by expectations to perform or pressure or you need to save someone or you need to perform Because your father's KPIs are measured by simply remaining in him and a love for him. For Jesus, what he's saying is the process he's concerned about with helping the disciples understand. Fruit will happen when the process is right. As verse 4 says, you can't bear fruit by yourself. And so the word of God and prayer are both how we remain and how fruit begins to form. And that's Jesus' focus. A disciple that is fruitful. And like many things in life, it happens by not focusing on being fruitful, but by on the process to get the fruit. And that's what he wants them to see. And so that means in his grace, our good gardener is going to cut away parts of our life that need his tender care and mercy to fall upon. Attitudes, behavior, lifestyle choices, misconceptions about who God is, what community is. Our gardener will gently take his pruning fork. Pruning fork? Scissors? Probably can't prune with the fork. Second tier, yeah. I wrote the word fork and I realized that's not... You can't prune with the fork. Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, Shears to our life. There you go. When he's ready to make us fruitful and he does that, not to be mean, but because he loves you. Look at verse 9. And he can see the end product that he's making, right? We are the work in progress for the glory of God. And when God looks at you in Christ, he sees you as you will be and who he is making you into. He looks at the vine and says, yeah, that part needs to be cut and pruned. Your life is a bit wonky, maybe. But in his grace, the gardener knows exactly where he's directing it, exactly what he wants to do with it and exactly how he's forming it. You can't see it. I can't see that, but he does. And here's the thing. Maybe what some of you are facing and going through at the moment, the struggle in community, the uncertainty at work, your character feeling like you're just being shaped by pressures that you can't control. Maybe it's actually the work of your sovereign gardener God and you just haven't seen it yet. How does seeing your life as a work of the sovereign gardener as you're brought into this Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, how does that change right now what your week looks like does that readjust your perspective it might not change anything at all but to simply say god you are the gardener i am the vine i just want to remain in you and and i can't do it you have to so let's summarize at this point what what jesus is asking us to do is simply stay and remain A disciple doesn't need to keep on scrolling through the endless options of something more to something better because in Jesus we have all we need for a fruitful life. The new system that Jesus offers us is the antidote 
the restlessness we constantly have in this world. Of being itchy in our job, of never being satisfied, well, waiting for something more, not feeling connected. Actually, it's right here in Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, you can remind yourself, I don't have to keep looking. You see, the way of Jesus is a system of total dependence upon him, of staying, of remaining in the source of life. It's a system that prunes us through his word, not only for character and mission, but reminds us that he is going to make the fruit, and that's liberating. Jesus wants you to be fruitful. And it's a system that has a new goal. It's not your glory. It's not your renown. It's not your kingdom. It's not your fame. It's not your life that is now being magnified. It's actually for the glory of another. Verse 8 for the glory of the Father. So then, in verse 9, Jesus keeps going. Not only are we in the vine as individuals, the vine is just more than you and Jesus. The vine depicts ultimate togetherness. And it takes some relearning to understand how to live in this new community with other branches in the vine. So Jesus says... As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Notice he says, I have loved you. The love is already pulsating through Jesus to the disciples. A disciple has been incorporated, been grafted into this massive cosmic eternal love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the same love that God has for Jesus is now the uniting force between Jesus and his followers. It makes perfect sense. Love is shown in a selfless giving of one to another. And for Jesus, that's seen at the cross. For the disciple, it's seen in how we do life with each other. But what I think is so hard isn't that we don't want that. We want community. We're made for that. We want these relationships with each other, with God. We often just don't think it's a reality for us. You see, as humans, we make sense of now by what's happened. You go to a new scenario, you think about life, you're challenged with something new, you walk into a community of people, and you, you instantly interpret that by what you know, what's happened in the past. And depending on where you've come from, what your life is like, that will either be a good thing, a bad thing, or just a nothing thing. We compare experiences to those we've had. And the trouble is, you can't do that with the church. Because it's an all new thing, a system, a community. And we need to be reschooled in the way of Jesus and his kingdom. It's not just a new system. I don't know I picked that word to hopefully get you thinking about that in a new way, but it's, it's not a new system. It requires a new way of thinking about that new way of living, right? And Jesus does that in 12 to 15. And he says, your individual position before God is the basis for your new community. So we have to think about community, not in terms of our past experience or our needs right now or the expectations I have on another person, but in light of the love that Jesus has for you as an individual who laid his life down for us, and then we lay our life down for others in community just as Jesus did it physically on the cross. And the point I'm making is that Jesus sets the tone for his family, and it's one of love and joy. And unless you have Jesus, you don't have that. And unless you have Jesus, you can't have that in community. And unless you have the gospel of Jesus who laid his life for you, you can't do the same for others. And you'll always be restless. You'll always be frustrated because you are missing the life source. 
You're trying to turn the light on that Amanda had for the kids when there's no power. And you're getting very frustrated because you're looking at other people and saying, why isn't it working? What's going on, God? And he's just saying, it's actually, you've forgotten it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we take the command seriously in verse 12 to love each other, and this anticipates John 17, the first thing that has to be said, and this, is, this sounds really silly, but you have to have Jesus followers around you to love them. I mean, you have to have friends in the church, those in Christ who actually love them, if I'm, if I'm going to do that. And so what is your relationship status like with those in the church? Do you have friends here that love Jesus, you do life with, you kick around with, you get dirty with, you, you know what's in each other's fridges um, because you're, you're so in, intimately with one another that you get life, you do life with each other. Is that you? And I get that, that's tricky. Lots of people do not have a good experience of church. G- going out of your house into a group of people in a cold room is not easy. Some that's the hardest part of your week and you're here and I thank you for that. And you would never tell anyone that, but you know the battle in your own head to get here. And I, I know that. I see that. And Jesus does too. And, and plus, when you do get to church, we, we like our own homogenous groups, right? That just means people are the same. We love people are the same. You ever watch someone go to a group and suddenly they've, they've ever left it if they didn't find someone like their own. But they always clump together. The car guys seem to somehow find each other out. You know, the computer geeks somehow talking about things. And you think, how did that happen? Because we love our own little groups. It's safe. It's happy. It's where we're, it's, but the church is full of all sorts of people born again with new desires, different paths, different stages of life. And so there are some you get to do life with you would never do life with apart from Jesus. The one thing that you and me have in common is Jesus. Uneducated, well-educated, um, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And this shows the beauty of the gospel and how it creates true community. We're united by Jesus. The problem isn't that the church is full of different people or that there's no one here my age or stage of life. It's a challenge if, it, if no one is the same age as you and at the stage of life because it's hard to kick around and, and relate to someone often. But that's not the problem. The problem is often out of expectations. What Jesus is saying is that you have been forgiven and I love you and you're going to be in a community and love a bunch of also forgiven people the same way I have loved you. We're all forgiven by the grace of God only. And to lay your life down is to serve and do life for the benefit of the other person, to think more about them than myself, to keep emptying myself for others so that I can be filled again because Jesus did it physically for me. So we can do it in community for one another and show people how upside down and crazy and uncommon this Jesus community is. In the way of Jesus stand against the world, it's a community of those who are friends with Jesus, who love one another, who are part of the same vine and all dependent upon him as the next person. So here's where we're at. The gospel of Jesus gives us a new system to do life from. It's a system that focuses on remaining in him through word and prayer, as a heartbeat of our joy. It's a system, a vine that displays ultimate togetherness because of the union we have with Jesus. And it is God, the gardener, who enables a Christian to live in union with him and be fruitful. And so then, will you hear and embrace this wonderfully good news? You can't do anything. But that it's through the life-giving gospel of Jesus, you can be fruitful in life. 
and have real togetherness and community. A disciple of Jesus knows, I can't do it. And at the same time you say that, you're happy because that's the best place to be. And so I, 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 I want to tell you as I close the story of a donkey to illustrate this. And it's, this, it's the donkey that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem with. If you know the story, Jesus goes into Jerusalem just before this meal um, and he's on a donkey and everyone's putting palm branches down and this little hops on a donkey and, and goes into the city. And this is the story of that donkey. This is the day after. And the donkey wakes up. He has a big smile on his face. He'd been dreaming of the previous day. Like this is the stuff that your life's lived for as a donkey. Jesus sitting on me. Like what, what could be better? And he stretches and he walks happily out of the stable in the street. And there's people just ignoring him and he's walking down and his ears are pricking up and he's looking super happy like, you know, I'm here. And he walks down the middle of the street to the very center of, of you know, wherever it is. And, and he, he just says in a loud voice, I'm here. It's me. And, and everyone just kind of looks in confusion and, and, and or, you know, what are you doing? And, and, and someone just, you know, struck him on the back of the back and said, what are you doing, you donkey? Like, you, why are you walking around like this, thinking you own the place? And he said, throw your garments down, you know, put your palm branches everywhere. Don't you know who I am? And everyone looked in amazement and he, he walked off very dejected, very sad and went home. And he has a good mum. And he said, I don't get it, mum. Yesterday, they waved palm branches at me. They shouted, Hosanna, hallelujah, today they treat me like I'm a nobody. And she said very gently and very wisely, foolish child, don't you realize that without him, you can do nothing? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Good news, you can't do it. Actually, the best news. Good news, you don't have to do it. Jesus has already done it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your mercy and kindness, you sent Jesus to be the true vine, to perform perfectly where Israel couldn't, where we can't, and that in your grace, you, you bring us into your community. And Father, our role is not to be performing for you, not to be a worker for you in the sense of having to earn our position or role, but we have to just stay. And Lord, the good news is we can't do it. You have a new system that says, remain in me. Father, help us do that. We want to be a community of people that love you, remain in you, that just pulsate this life that you've given us. Father, as we go into Monday and Tuesday, help us not to leave from that position. In your name we pray, amen.